Let's pray. God, we need your healing touch in this uh, church, in this community, and in this country. We need you to heal the divides between black and white, between poor and rich, between intellectual and non-intellectual. You desire no divides. And you come in the person of your Holy Spirit to heal those divisions. So God, we call on you right up front today to make your presence known, to make your power felt, and to begin that healing starting with us sitting here today starting with us. I thank you for this new year, Lord, and I thank you for the things that lie ahead for us as a, as a church as we uh, march into uh, 2015. Guide and direct every step that we have. Don't let us take a step without it being ordained by you. And we will be careful to give you the praise for that. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Good to see so many faces that I haven't seen for a while. While this whole Christmas... You know, New Year's holiday stuff was going on. It seems like we were going 10,000 different directions. So it's nice to have you finally back. Uh, and I hope that you're going to uh, make this a permanent home here as we go forward in 2015. We're starting a new series today, as you can see on the, on the screen there. We're going to be looking at how some of those small options that we take in our own lives can have a profound effect on the people all around us. We may not think so, but they do. Several months ago, I told you about a, a genuine old maid school teacher that I had in the seventh grade in my English class. Her name was Jane Davidson, Miss Jane Davidson, and how... There was no way I was going in, into her class without having my homework complete because she would call on you. And she would, well, she would require that we live up to our fullest potential. And I told you that I had an opportunity to go back many years later to her house after she'd retired, after I was teaching school, actually, and uh, thank her for what an impact she had made on my life. And the impact was this. Because of the due diligence that she caused us to have in that seventh grade English class, I never cracked 
a grammar book all the way through college and made straight A's. I learned it all from Miss Jane Davidson. She imparted that knowledge to me, but even more important than that, she imparted to me the ideal that you can succeed. The only one in my family to go to college. The only one to graduate from college. Certainly the only one to go on to graduate school. And I think back to her many times. Many times. I, I, I encouraged or challenged you to think about that person in your life that has made a difference and, and to do the same thing if it's possible. If, if they're still here, then to to go see them or write them or say something to them. And one of our ladies here said she had an opportunity to talk to her pastor from years ago who, upon her graduation from college, you know, we all graduate from college and we think we're going to make boatloads of money. He encouraged her to not worry so much about the boatloads of money but to use what she had learned to serve other people. And she dedicated her entire life to serving other people. And it's made a difference. And each of you can find that to be true. I was also thinking about a movie that happens to be one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. It's a classic, I guess. It's from 1995. And uh, it's called Doc, uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Mr. Holland's Opus. You familiar with that? You remember? Richard Dreyfus. It's about a teacher who also had a profound effect, but he didn't think that he did. He didn't think he had made any difference at all. And at the end of his 30-year career, Glenn Holland, played by Richard Dreyfus just didn't think, he says, my life didn't make any difference at all. Because 30 years prior to his retirement celebration, which we see at the end of the movie, he'd taken a part-time job as a music teacher in the high school. So he could work part-time, make a little money, and then really do what the passion of his life was to write this opus that he had well, he worked on it for 30 years, 30 long years. And now, now here he is. He hadn't completed that opus yet, that symphony. And he feels like a loser as he's retiring. And there's a scene at the very end of the movie when he realizes that he's had a profound effect on a whole lot of people. One particular little girl who, if you recall in the movie Red Hair, uh, played the clarinet and had a heck of a time playing the clarinet. She, you, those of you that have tried to play a reed instrument and you go from one register to the other register and it always squeaks, you know, makes that awful sound. And she would always squeak. So he, he brought her in after school and they tutored and she just wasn't getting it. And finally he had a breakthrough where he had her play from her heart. Take the music away. Just get, get, the, get the notes out of, out of the way. Close your eyes and play from your heart. 
and it was gorgeous. Well, this, she was a senior then in high school. This senior went on, her name was Gertrude Lang, no relation, I'm sure, Gertrude Lang, and she had become the governor of the state, and she's come back to honor Mr. Holland at his retirement. Let's watch this clip. I think he's achieved a success far beyond Richardson fame. Look around. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. And I can tell which ones of you were teachers <laughs> uh, by the looks on your faces. Albert Einstein said that the most powerful force in all the world, do you know what he said? Is compounding interest. <laughs> Some of you bankers would agree. But I want to disagree with Mr. Einstein this morning a little bit. I want to suggest to you that the most powerful force in all the universe is not compounding interest, but it's a compounding life. It's when you and I decide to use our lives to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. We start this brand new series today, and I've titled it Exponential, The Power of a Compounding Life. And I want to introduce you to some people who had 
a compounding effect on the people surrounding them. In addition to Miss Jane Davidson, who had a rather compounding effect on my life, and Mr. Holland, who had a compounding effect in the movie. I want to introduce you to some people from the pages of Scripture whose lives echo down right through the ages. And their lives had exponential impact. And to make it, to bring a little more or even greater emphasis to this, I've chosen some people that maybe you don't know. Maybe you haven't read their names in Scripture, but they're there. For example, today, I'm going to introduce you to the Old Testament king, Josiah. Last week, I read Josiah's name in that genealogy in Matthew. But we just read his name. And that's not the part of the Scripture that I'm talking to you about. Later, we're going to look at Dorcas. Dorcas, a lady from the New Testament. And I'm thinking about um, perhaps also including some lepers, four lepers at the end of the Old Testament. Not the ones in the New Testament, but some guys at the end of the Old Testament who get kind of tucked away there at the end of the Scriptures, and, and perhaps you've jumped over them. So we're going to look at these people who um, um, Bible teachers, scholars, theologians would call minor characters. They're called minor characters because they may have a couple of verses or a couple of chapters in Scripture devoted to them, and that's it. But their impacts are certainly major. Their impacts on our world are major. So if you will, let's take a look at this first character. We have the verse there in your handout, um, 2 Kings 23, 25, and this is the uh, New Living Translation. Um, and I want you to grab your pens. If there's a pen around you, obviously you're going to have to have one of these. <laughs> you know, it, it looks like this on the front. Uh, you're going to have to have one of these. And then grab a pen because I want us to have a little fun with, this, with this, uh, these verses right here. We're going to play with them. So it says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his life and soul and strength, obeying all the law of Moses, and there has never been a king like him since. Wow. There's Josiah. Now, that sounds like a character that we probably ought to dig into a little deeper if there's never been another one like him. So what did he do? Why is he important in, in Scripture? Well, I want us to take Josiah's life here just a minute and project it on our life or project our life on Josiah's Scripture, I guess. Wouldn't it be cool if at the end of our lives something like that could be said about us? 
Wouldn't that be neat? I mean, for example, you look back up at the first line there, and it says, Never before had there been a king. What I'd like for you to do is scratch out the word king. And right up above it, whatever you do for a living. What do you do for a living? You're a salesperson. So just write, never before had there been a salesperson. Okay? You see what we're doing? I would write their pastor. If you're a mom or a dad... You could, you could write mom or dad up above it. That's certainly important. If you're a nurse, write nurse. If you're a doctor, doctor, teacher, you know, whatever. And then I want you to scratch out the word Josiah and put your name there. Are you with me? Never before, mine says, never before has there been a pastor like George. Don't laugh at that. <laughs> because yours is saying the same sort of thing. Never before had there been a public safety officer like Andrew. Never before had there been a firefighter like Jake. Never before had there been a mother. Oh, who can we choose here like Lorraine? <laughs> That's a pretty cool statement, isn't it? Then look at the last part. The last part of that same scripture. There has never been a pastor like him since. Right in your job description there. Now that verse takes on a whole new meaning for you. What if we lived that kind of life? What if you and I were to live that kind of life? The kind of life where we turn to the Lord with all of our heart and our strength and our soul and we obeyed all the laws of Scripture. I want us today and in the weeks to come to extract some lessons today from Josiah's life about how we can have a compounding effect on the people around us. And as you'll see in your notes down there, there's a longer passage that we're going to deal with here in a minute. It's from Second Chronicles chapter 34. But first of all, I want to tell you a little bit about Josiah because um, we're not going to go into his whole life today. We're just going to look at a, a, a kind of a summary his story's found, first of all, in, in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. And then there's the parallel story to that that's in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35. And if you're like me in those first few times reading through the Bible and you read about Josiah here in Kings and you read about Josiah here in Chronicles, you're thinking, well, that might be two different people. But no, these are, these are parallel stories about the same guy. So Josiah's life takes up a mere four chapters in all the Bible. He's also mentioned 
by name in Jeremiah chapter 1. He was a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, at his funeral, Jeremiah did his sermon. Josiah became a king at a very young age, and he ruled for 36 years, which in that period of time was a long, long, long time to rule. He was the 16th king of Judah. Well, if you don't know what Judah is, think in Israel, Jerusalem south. All of that was the land of Judah, the southern kingdom. That's where he ruled. He was the great-grandson of Hezekiah, the tunnel guy, remember? We talked about that before. Uh, to save the city, he had his people dig from two areas you know, about a mile apart, and they dug and dug and dug and dug and dug underneath the Temple Mount until they came together. And those of us that have been to Israel have walked through Hezekiah's tunnel, even today, as the water flows through there. Hezekiah was the last good king until Josiah. And after, after Hezekiah was king, everything kind of went haywire. In fact, the grandfather and the father of Josiah did tremendously evil things. They disobeyed God in almost every facet of their life in huge ways. They turned their backs on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they began to allow idol worship in the temple and reign throughout the country on every high uh, mountain, high hill that's around there. They would put up uh, altars to worship idols. All through the southern kingdom, the, the kingdom of Judah, and in the midst of this evil and all of this disobedience that was going on, Josiah, at the age of 26, mind you, age of 26, initiates this massive reform in Jerusalem and in the whole southern kingdom, and he began repairing the temple, and he rediscovered Scripture. You see, obedience has an exponential impact where disobedience is most prominent. Obedience stands out, shines in the midst of disobedience. That's a great principle for you to know. Obedience has an exponential impact where disobedience is most prominent. And so in a world where there's so much disobedience, Josiah steps up and he decides that he's going to live his life in obedience to God. And it stands out. It stands out in Scripture and it ripples down through the ages so that it stands out when we read the Scripture today. And I would say the same is true for us today, really. We live in a pretty disobedient time. We do. It's amazing when you look around how disobedient we've been. And when you and I decide that we're going to obey God and to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength, our impact 
can have an exponential effect. Here in the midst of disobedience. Think about if you're the, the one person in your office who plays by all the rules. You kind of stand out, don't you? What if you're the uh, designated driver on New Year's Eve? You kind of stand out, don't you? So let's look at a cross-section of Josiah's life. This is from 2 Chronicles chapter 34. I'm going to begin reading with verse 29. And in this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. This is the only standard we have for our faith and for our life. And that's why we take it very seriously. Listen to God's Word. Then the king, what was his name? Josiah. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The, the king stood by his pillar and, what's that next word? Renewed. Renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had, this is verse 32, then he had how many people? How many? Everyone, all of them. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. Josiah removed all the detestable, what? Idols. Idols removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. And let's, let's lead, read this last line up here together. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. That's Josiah's testimony. That's his epitaph. It's quite a story. Josiah, in this story of his life that we get in these four chapters, made, made five decisions, I think, that lead to a compounding life. And, and we, too, here today in 2015, can make the same decisions. And what better time to start than at the top of the new year? At the head of the year, the Hebrews say, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. At the beginning of the year. Uh, I know that, I, I knew that we were not going to be able to cover all five of them, so I've kind of broken this into two parts. That's why you see uh, your uh, 
handout here is blank and the back's blank. Well, there's stuff that's going on there for next week. You'll, you'll get the second part next week. But I want to take a look at, at the decisions that he made. First of all, this, this is, uh, goes without saying, he decided to live a compounding life. He decided to live a compounding life. This whole reform that Josiah Institute started with one profound decision. He decided that he was going to repair the temple. The temple was so important to those people. The temple was in disrepair. It had been since the exile. It was the seat of worship. It was the place where God himself inhabited. His presence was there. The God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God that today we would call the one true living God. He decided that he would repair that temple and bring it back to its brilliance. And as they started the repair work, moving stones here and there, voila, they found the scripture. They found the scrolls. They would call it the, the, we would call it the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They would call it the Law of Moses. In today's terms, we could say they found the Bible. They found the Bible. It was over in a corner, covered up by something, but they found the Bible. And think about this for just a minute. How evil did those preceding generations have to be that they had completely discarded the Bible and not missed it? It wasn't as if the Bible was stashed away somewhere for safekeeping. They didn't know where it was. And they found it, and it was like, oh, oh, this is the Bible. Oh, I've never seen one of these before. And for the last two generations, for his grandfather and his father, they couldn't even find the Bible, nor did they care. And when they found it, Josiah decided right then and there that they could not ignore it. He decided, we're going to do something special with this. So look at 2 Chronicles 34, verse 29. This is in the New Living Translation. The king summoned all the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem. And we're going to take a look at this in, in more depth here in just a minute. Now, he's the king, so he can summon them, and they have to come. It's not like I say, we're going to read the Bible. Y'all come, and everybody in the whole community is going to show up. I mean, he had a little more power than I do. But he decided, we're going to do something with this, and we're not going to ignore God any longer like we have been. And get this again. He made this decision when he was 26 years old. 26 years old. How old do you have to be to change the world? Alexander the Great died when he was 33 years old. 
Alexander the Great conquered the world by age 33. Jesus died when he was 33 years old. Something about that 33, isn't there? He was a young man. Obviously, there are people who change the world at a, at a much later age. You can change the world when you're 80 years old. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, as I wrote this, I was thinking of Winston Churchill. Now, there's a guy that uh, we don't hear much about until World War II. In his 80s, and man alive, did he change the world. There was a lady up in New England called Grandma Moses. Didn't start painting until she was 90 years old. I don't know how many hundreds of paintings she did. She's one of the most prolific folk art artists uh, that America's ever seen. Grandma Moses. But in this case, Josiah changed the world because of a bold decision that he was willing to make at the age of 26. He said, I'm not going to be bound by my past. I'm not. I'm not going to allow my father's and my grandfather's influence to make me disobedient also. I'm going to break away from the tradi tradition of evil that my grandfather and my father instituted. Is that you today? Are you doing this thing called life out of a tradition? Just because that's the way it's always been done and the way it's expected for you to do it because that's the way your father did it and your grandfather did it? Take some stock, people. He said, I'm not going to be my own man. I'm not going to have my own priorities. I'm not going to have my own faith. I'm going to rely on God and my relationship with God. And this changed everything. Everything. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.25. This is New Living Translation again. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. There you go. Make that decision. Make that decision. At the end of our lives, there's one of two words that's going to describe our impact. I've done lots of funerals. And we could put them all into two classes with these two words to describe their lives. One word is mediocrity, and the other word is meaning. Our lives can be described as being mediocre or being meaningful. Which one do you want to describe your life? Which one? I don't want to be a person that's known that I lived a, a life of mediocrity. A life where at the end of my days, when the books are closed, I just pass from this life to the next, and there's, there's no one left behind to sing 
my opus. I don't want to be that person. I want to live a life of meaning, a life that, that makes a difference. When we sign up for Alpha, we say that you need to come and explore the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? We can explore that together and determine what it is. And as we're going to see in this story and throughout this entire series, it's not always the big things that lead to a legacy. It's the small conversations, like the one Miss Davidson had with me. The small moments of rediscovering the Bible and calling together a committee in the Old Testament or a home group today. So it starts with a decision. Will you decide today that you're going, not going to accept a life that's mediocre, but instead you're going to accept a compounding life? You're going to have a compounding effect on others? And what do you do next? The second decision you need to make is this. Decide to build my life on Scripture. Decide to build your life on Scripture. When Josiah found the Bible, he said, we can't ignore this. This is too important. I'm not going to build my kingdom on what I think is best. By the way, that's how kingdoms were built back then. Whatever the king said, whatever his word was, that's the way the kingdom was built. Josiah said, it's not going to be about my words and my thoughts of right and wrong. It's going to be what God says is right or wrong. I'm going to build my life on eternal wisdom. And I'm going to build this kingdom on eternal wisdom. So if we look back at the scripture, 2 Chronicles 34, 30, we see this. Now the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all of the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. How long do you think that took? We're talking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He read the whole book to them. It takes several hours, maybe most of the day. But here's why he did it. He didn't like to hear his own voice. Here's why he did it. Because when he had read the book for himself, it had a profound impact on his life. And he thought, imagine what this could do for the kingdom. Imagine how this could advance the kingdom. Because for Josiah, what the scripture did is... It revealed the gap between where he was living 
and the standard that God had for his life, the gap between his own efforts to lead the people and God's expectations for this chosen nation of his. That's what Scripture does. The big idea for today is this. Whenever I interact with Scripture, it reveals the gap in my life between where I am and where God wants me to be. There's a gap there in each of our lives. And when we interact with Scripture, when we really dig into the Scripture, that gap shines out like a, like a sun in the night sky. There's a gap between what I am and what God wants me to be. Why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. Have you ever seen those signs in the subway? Those of us that have been to London have. Every corner you turn in the subway, and they also make the announcement, Mind the gap! Mind the gap! Actually, that started in the London subway, the London Underground, in 1969, they came out with all of these signs, mind the gap signs, that they put all around. Because if you don't mind the gap, when you're stepping off the train, what happens? You fall down on the tracks. Fall in the gap down on the tracks. And Scripture shows us the gaps in our own life. And Scripture says... If you don't mind the gaps, you are going to stumble. And Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, 47, 48. Also, New Living Translation. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then obeys it. It's like a person who builds a house on a strong foundation laid upon the underlying rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. Hmm. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's see what your memory verse says. Oh my gosh, did he say memory verse? Not that again. We can't do that again. Yes, we can. It's on these little cards right here. We've prepared for you. Memory verse. And our memory verse this week is Psalm 119, 105. This happens to be the, the Good News translation. Uh, I learned it in a different translation, but this is the one we're going to work with today. Psalm 119, 105. And you know, if you've been around here, that my way of having you memorize Scripture is to repeat it a few times. I repeat the address at the beginning and the address at the end. When I was a kid, long before Miss Davidson, uh, I memorized Scripture, and I had no idea where it was. I mean, I knew the Scripture... But I couldn't, I could, I didn't know whether it was Old Testament or New Testament. I mean, I just, I didn't know where it was. So now, if I'm memorizing a scripture, I make sure that I'm memorizing the address, too. 
so I can find it in my scroll here when I need to. So read this with me, if you will. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. And if we're memorizing it, then what I do is take something away. And we say it again. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. And we take something else away. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Hmm. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. This becomes difficult now, except you can kind of... I didn't make that dark enough, sorry. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, 105. So, you've memorized a scripture. Why is this scripture important? It says when you read God's word and you build your life on scripture, you're minding the gaps in your life. God's word will keep you from stumbling. And let me ask you this. At the end of this year, what would it be like What would it be like if you had memorized 52 new verses? One a week. Is that a challenge anybody would like to take up? I can tell you many, many times over the last five, six years that we've been doing this renovation church thing, I've been about to to step into a gap It happens. Even when uh, there's never been a pastor like George. Uh, I've been about to step into this gap, either making an unwise decision or doing something foolish or saying something that I shouldn't say. When God would bring to my mind a memory verse that I had tucked away from sometime in the past. And that memory verse would be the very verse that I needed to keep me from stumbling. So I'm going to encourage you today and certainly for the rest of this year and I hope for the rest of your life that you'll mind the gap. Maybe you've gotten off track this last year. Maybe you were doing a pretty good job up until then in regards of your time with God, how much time you're actually spending with Him. 
And I've got two, uh, I think I have them up here, two uh, websites that you can go to for reading plans, Bible reading plans. The first one is this, www.htb.org slash B-I-O-Y, Bible in One Year. That's from the people who run Alpha, Holy Trinity Brompton Church. It's the one that I use. And I use it because I don't have to do anything. It comes on my phone every morning, on my computer every morning. I don't have to go searching. It's there. And I'm kind of easy that way, you know? If I had to go search, I might have an excuse for not finding it. But there's no excuse for not finding it when it comes to you. And I know several of you here have used it this past year. I've already started on this year www.htb.org slash B-I-O-Y and the second is this do we have a second one? did I put it up there or not? no? okay it, it would be www.uversion uh, Y-O-U capital Y-O-U capital V-E-R-S-I-O-N uversion dot org And this you'll go to, and it has, I don't know, 15 different reading plans. You just choose the one that, that you want to use. If you want to if you say, gosh, I don't think I can read the whole Bible this year, but I will try to do the New Testament, then it'll have a New Testament reading plan for you. You can do that. If the whole Bible is more than you think you could do, then go, go at it at your at your own pace, but do it. Make it a part of your daily life. Mind the gap. I've got some next steps for you. First of all, you've done this one. Memorize Psalm 119.105. Take these cards with you when we give them out to you. Memorize these verses. Decide that you're going to attend the rest of the exponential series. This will go on about four maybe five weeks. I hadn't planned on breaking this first one into two parts, but that kind of lengthens the, the series a little bit. Uh, third, start a daily Bible reading plan like we talked about. Daily Bible reading plan. I hear from people all the time, man, we need to do small groups. We need to have, have Bible studies, Bible studies, Bibles. And, and yeah, that's... I agree. We need to have Bible studies. But what you need to do is have a personal Bible reading plan. Nothing takes the place of that. It's fun to get together with other people, but you've got to do it yourself too. That's where you're going to grow. And the last one is schedule a quiet time every day. Maybe you don't know what a quiet time is. If that's the case, then then come see me. I'll talk to you about what a quiet time is. It's different than Bible reading. It's different than study. It's different than prayer time. A quiet time. We do a lot of talking to God, but do you ever listen? That might be what you can do in your quiet time. Those things will help you mind the gap let's pray God I just thank you for your word your word that's
never changing and ever true. I thank you for the life of Josiah, this king tucked away in the Old Testament, a name in a list of genealogy in the New Testament, about whom we know nothing, and yet he was a very important king with a compounding life that reaches to us today if we dare to uh, dig into his life a little bit. I pray that the, the people here today would take to heart that, that they can influence the folks around them to good, not to disobedience, but to obedience, if they will but make the decision and if they will commit their lives to Scripture. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he broke the bread, and he said, Friends, this, this is my body that's broken for you, for each of you. He took a cup after the meal and poured wine in, saying, This cup... This cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread, Jesus said, and you drink this wine, you remember my death until I come. That's what he asks us to remember. This would be a great time for you to kind of take stock personally where are you where's your life going right now is it compounding on a downward spiral or is it compounding to reach others around you with the good news of the kingdom of God if it's not where you want it to be talk with him a little bit about it right now discuss it with him Agree with him that it's not where you want it to be and ask for his help. Our ministry team's going to be on either side here and they would, actually I think we've got three stations today, uh, and they will be happy to help you pray about that. Pray about this coming year. About what you can do to make your life compounding. As the servers come, Use this time to prepare yourselves. He asks us to come to his table prepared. This is, this is not a renovation church table. This is, this is the Lord's table, and it's open to anyone here who trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's no other hoops that you have to jump through. He asks that you... Confess your sins. And then he says in Scripture, gosh, if you, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So the promise is there. All we have to do is speak it to him, and, and it's taken care of. Come to his table this morning. This table of grace. The baskets on either side are for your connect cards, your alpha registrations, I guess, 
and, and your offerings. He calls you by name to his table today.